as I was sharing with you, you know, last week I started into a series and we're actually going to continue on it, but I'm going to share a little bit with it being uh, the 4th of July weekend and it being uh, really our celebration of our nation's independence. Uh, There's some things that I had in my heart, but it's really going to tie in. Uh, But I want to share some things about our nation a little bit. You know, uh, tomorrow we celebrate, it's actually the 246th sixth time and and year of our uh, declaration when they declared our independence from England. And as I've already mentioned, I do love history and that's not the focus of today, but I I think it's important that we do understand why they declared their independence. And it wasn't just because they got tired of paying taxes, although that was a part of it. Anybody else understand that feeling? You know what I'm saying? Some of you, a couple of you, who likes paying taxes? Who does not like paying taxes? Yeah, no, thank you. There we go. That's a better response. But it was more than that. It was more than the Boston Tea Party. It was more than, you know, I mean, there were, we have tons of things that happened and there were, you know, there were expressions, but at the heart of it, and even if you go before the founders, you go all the way back to the Puritans and the Pilgrims and you go back to why people came here, much of the root of it was actually spiritual. It wasn't actually a political thing. And out of the spiritual birth and really out of what God was doing in people's hearts actually began to spring forth the concepts and the ideas of what we call the United States of America. It wasn't just, you know, and I mean, we can know that there's a lot of varying opinions about the nation. And America is an idea. And we've forgotten that in many ways. Is that what we have, is really an idea that we're striving for, not something that we have been or that we are. It's, we're in the process and we should be in the process of continuing to pursue really, uh, godly aspects that he has called us to. And I'm not saying that, that God loves America over any other nation. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do believe that God has a plan and a purpose for America. And so and we happen to be blessed and very fortunate. Whether you realize it or not, you are unbelievably fortunate and blessed to be born into this nation. Whether you realize it or not, you could have been born in something like 180, 190 different nations. I don't know exactly the exact number. How many nations? And of all the places you could have been born on the planet, the Lord saw fit that you would be born here. Or that you would be here now. And so of all the places that you could be is that God saw to it. And so even when you go back into looking at some of the founders and some of the early parts of our nation, they weren't just revolutionaries. They were actually pursuing something much different. One of the things which is in our Bill of Rights is the freedom of religion. Which is interesting, although many of the founders were Christians, as a matter of fact, um, 24 of the 56 men who wrote the Declaration of Independence actually had a degree in theology. They'd gone to seminaries. They, they had a biblical understanding, and which is why much of the framework of our original documents, which it really wasn't that many. I believe that the, the if I remember correctly, I didn't look this up and refresh my memory. I think our nation was founded on 26 documents, 26 pages. You know, our tax code has over 2,500 pages today. And yet we started a nation with a couple dozen pieces of paper. You know, and really I believe that the hand of the Lord was upon them as they wrote it. You know, in so many ways. because they, But even in that is that they came, really many of them had come from nations that had statewide church. In other words, government implemented religion. Said this is the official church of our nation. And they said that's not what we believe is the best way. We believe that individuals should have the right to pursue the knowledge and the experience of God. 
And so we've been built on the idea that we have the freedom of religion. It is foundational to our nation. And it's not just that, hey, it's the freedom of religion as long as you agree with me. They didn't say that. They said it's the freedom to pursue a relationship with God. And so we have to also allow other people that may have differing views and opinions than us. To pursue those things. And we live our life before them with the light of the gospel as something different, right? And, and so, uh, you know, I believe that, uh, that, that many of these men had a very deep understanding and conviction of the scriptures. And many things that were going on in their life. And, and so, you know, you know, I, I even said this, I believe it was last week. But I, I found this, I was reading some things this week and I came across this statement from this lady who had written an article really about religious freedoms. And I thought it was very interesting because she, she made this statement and said, The constitutional order produced a constructive relationship between religion and the state that balances the citizens' dual allegiances to God and earthly authorities without forcing them to abandoning or to abandon their primary loyalty to God. You know, I mean, I don't even know how many of you can recite the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not very long. It's 50 something words, but it says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God. It's like, hey, I'm pledging allegiance to America, but I'm pledging my allegiance to my country, but it's under that allegiance to God. And so I don't have to give up one to have the other, but there is a primary one, which is that I am a, Christ, I am a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian first. I'm an American second, but, but I don't have to, it's not a battle that I have to fight necessarily. And so, you know, I believe that part of uh, really the fabric of our nation though, and, and part of the founding, and when you read through so many of the, the men who were the signers of the Declaration and many of those who crafted the early, um, really, documents that really shaped our nation, many of them were God-fearing people. And their desire was to have the ability and the place in which they could actually experience God for themselves without being told this is the box that you have to experience God in. And I believe that this is really part of our really just part of the fabric is this desire for a pure connection. If you look at the history of our nation, we've seen many moves of God and it's not unique to America. God moves in nations all over the place. But in our history, because it matters to us, is that we see time and time again where the hand of God has moved upon our nation. And you're like, well, why does it matter? Because it's shaped who we are. It's shaped the legislation that gets written. It is shaped and God's presence has moved in very specific times in our life. And I believe that it's actually time that we press in to God for our own experience as well. Is that I don't have to just go read history to know about what God did. Is that God actually wants to do those things again and wants to do them in a new and a fresh way for us and in us. That would have been a great place to say amen, by the way. Because... And I'll tie all this together why I'm talking about these things. Because many people have gripes today and I'm like, then do something about it. Everybody wants to blame everybody else other than taking some responsibility. Like for us and our part to play. And so I believe that, that we really do need a revival. I believe that we need the hand of God to touch our nation in a very powerful way. And you can call it a revival. You can call it a spiritual renewal. You can call it a touch from heaven. I don't really care. But what I do know is that our, our nation needs a touch from the Almighty. There's no doubt about that. 
is that there is no answer. And so let me, uh, well, let me, let me share a couple things with you. I'm going to make a statement in a minute, minute that you may or may not like, but I still believe that it's true. But if we look back into our history, you'll actually find that great political reform often followed spiritual awakenings. If you go and just read through our history, you, there, there's a parallel. You know, if, if you know much about history or spiritual history of our nation, you know about the American Revolution. That's what we celebrate, right? I mean, but did you know that that came right on the heels of the first great awakening in America? Is that there was a spiritual revival and then a political shift happened. See, we have it backwards. We think that political things will change spiritual, and that's not the way it works. Spiritual things will change the political realm. And so that's where we as the church say, well, what can we really do? We have more power than we realize. We have more authority than we realize. And it's when we take our place and we actually begin to stand and to be the church that change could actually really begin to happen. And so here's another one. The abolition, the abolition of slavery came after the second great awakening. There was another move of God. There was a man named Jonathan Edwards who really led the charge, if you will, of the great awakenings. He was a... An early preacher in American history. And there was great moves of God really two times through his ministry. One's called the first great awakening. The, one, the second is called the second great awakening. And yet there are marked things that happened after him. The victories of World War I and the economic boom were on the heels of Azusa Street. In California, in Kansas, in the early 1900s. Of course, World War I was in 1918 in that realm. Azusa was 1906. We have the charismatic move today because of what happened in 1906. You're like, what's the charismatic move? It's being filled with the, the spirit. It's having a prayer language. Like that was totally off the radar for Christians around the world until 1906 when a blind black man got a hold of the Holy Spirit in Azusa Street in California. And he had first seen that in Kansas. And it began to spread all over the world. And it's still happening right now. Like we think that this is just the way it's always been. 116 years ago, nobody knew the operation and the work of the Holy Spirit. And we take these things for granted. And so we see these things. And so it happened in Topeka, Kansas. It happened in California as well. And so we see that there actually is a clear link between political policy and personal conduct. There really is. We see this as, a, as, as if, if God will change our hearts, the, the government will change. Because here's the thing. Remember the government, we put them there. So it's easy to blame them, whoever them is, right? My personal opinion is the government just reflects the people. And it's easy to say, well, I didn't vote for that person. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Yeah, but you have more authority than you think and that you realize. Here's what I know. If the church would actually begin to pray, we would see God do something phenomenal in our nation. The problem is, is that I believe we've quit praying for our nation. We quit praying for our leaders. We've quit, quit praying for the hand of God to move in our nation. And we see the results of it. And we would rather gripe than we would pray. We would rather complain than we would to get serious and really get on our face before the Lord. And so let me, here's my statement for you is that I believe that government actually isn't the problem. Now here's the good news. If they're not the problem, they're also not the solution. 
I'm not looking to the government to fix anything. Nor am I going to go around blaming them. Do I have opinions? Of course. Am I going to share them with you? No. But I have opinions. Of course I do. Do I think if I was president, I could do a better job? You do too. Right? I mean, we all think that. And it sure seems like that. But at the end of the day, am I going to pray or am I just going to complain? And am I going to pray that God really changes me? Because if we need a touch from God, it's not just, because here's the thing. We can pray about, God, I want revival. God, I want a move of your spirit. Great. Pray for you to have that. Like revival has to happen in this circle right here. Like this has to change before all of this is going to change. And so we have to have this, this desire and this longing that God, we need you. I don't need another legislation. I don't need another bill. I don't need a new candidate. I need the spirit of God to lead us, to guide us, to stir us up so that we can step in and become who God has called us to be as individuals. And as we step into who we are as individuals, we will step into who we are called to be as a nation. It's one of the beautiful things of our nation is that we actually have personal responsibility. I mean, our founders even wrote everything that we've stated about this. It's only good for a moral people in other words there has to be a standard well the word of god is our standard as christians and we've continually moved moved away from the word of god continually time after time after time but yet we can actually have a voice in these things yes we can vote yes we can you can be active in the political arena but are you as active in the spiritual arena as you are the political one or in the opinion arena This is how we actually produce change. And so it's important. But And so as individuals, we have to look into our own lives. And we need to be asking the Lord, is there anything in me that I need to shift? Is there anything anything that, that I'm not looking at right? In Proverbs 14, verse 34, it says this. It says, a nation is exalted by the righteousness of its people. Didn't say it's government. A nation is exalted by the righteousness of its people. It says, but sin heaps disgrace upon the land. How does a nation become righteous? How did you become righteous? You got saved. You came to the knowledge of Jesus. You came into relationship with him. So we need to be praying that what? That lost people get saved in our nation. We ought to be praying for the backslidden in our country. Those who are out of fellowship. Those who are de-churched. Those who have no connection with God. Why? Because when they come alive into God, our nation gets better. Our experience will change. It's not a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. And our nation was founded out of, and I'm not saying that, look, I know, look, I know all history, good and bad. But I know my history too, and some of it's good and bad too. And you know your history. It's got some bad stuff that you don't want people knowing either. Things that you're not proud of. But that doesn't mean that God still doesn't work in the midst of our humanity. He absolutely will. And so when we start talking about really uh, the nation and about what God is doing, my prayer is this, is do it again, Lord. 
You've done it before. The Bible tells me you're no respecter of person. If you'll pour out in 1700 and 1800 and 1900 and 1970, then you will do it again. I believe every person, I believe God puts a desire on the inside of every single one of us to actually encounter him. And so we have a decision. And so my prayer is this, is to do it again, Lord. Touch our nation, awaken our people. To stir up more hunger for you. That really is my prayer. I would encourage you to begin to pray. And say, God, stir up in me a desire. Stir up in me more of a hunger for you. More of a desire to actually be connected to you. Not just in a, 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 just this mental space. But I mean in a real experiential way. Like that there are some things that God will do that you will not be able to explain. But you'll just be able to know that was the Lord. I, I can't put it into words. I can't describe it. But in that moment, I know that the, 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 I've sensed the presence of the Lord. I shared this verse with you last week out of John chapter 4. This is Jesus with the woman at the well. And so he asked her, and there's all this dialogue that goes along. But he asked her for a drink of water. And she's, you know, she wants to get into a political debate with him. Jesus totally ignores her, by the way. Might be some wisdom there. He responds to her in verse 10, and he says, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who was speaking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. She's talking about water in a well, and Jesus is talking about something completely different. And so then she again tries to go back to her conversation, and Jesus is like, Not so fast. He's break, she's trying to go in the natural realm, he's coming back to the spiritual. Verse 13. 13 and 14 he responds again and says anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again there's lots of things i shared about this last week that we can pursue that we can go after but it's fleeting at best you get that new thing you go to this new place you go all these do you you get with those the natural things that we think will satisfy us and in the end we just realize that it just doesn't do what we thought it would do why? Because it will never fulfill you. It'll never, there, there's a, there is a hole in your spirit that only God will feel and that only God can fulfill that place. And yet we're constantly looking for something to fill that, that void in our life. And yet Jesus says, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. He says, those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty and it will become, or he says, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, we keep looking everywhere else for what is on the inside of us that God alone in his work in our hearts can produce. In Ezekiel 37, I may preach along these lines in a couple weeks, but there's an account where uh, God begins to speak to Ezekiel the prophet. And he's talking about the valley of dry bones. And he asks Ezekiel, and he says, hey, can these bones live again? He said, there's just stacks of bones everywhere. And, and, and God begins to tell, you know, so there's a conversation that happens. But I was reading over that, and, and I love this scripture that it just really popped out to me. At the end of it, kind of, a, of the conversation there between the two. In Ezekiel 37, the Lord says this. He says, my people, which I love that. Do you know that you belong to him? You're not an orphan. Like you, you really belong to him. He, you're his kid. Like the Bible says he, that you're the, the delight of his eye. And that he loves you and he sees you. He says, my people. He says, I will put my spirit in you and you will come to life. 
Now, that doesn't mean come to life like a baby being born. It means come to life as in when God told Adam in Genesis that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in dying you will die. It was a spiritual death. It was a twofold death. There was a, there was a natural aspect of this. But there was also a spiritual separation. And yet here God says that when I put my spirit in you, you will come to life. This is what Jesus is talking about. And it's not just living life like we understand, like I wake up, I go to work, I pay my bills, I eat, I do. That's just functioning. That's not living. And yet here, God says, I want you to come to life. Like where there's passion in your heart and there's a connection with the creator. In Acts chapter 4, there's an account of Peter and and John and they they heal this blind man going to the church one day. And they look and he's like, you know, he's begging because he's blind and he gets laid there every day. And Peter's like, hey, I'm broke, but I don't have any money for you. But what I do have, rise up and walk. The Bible says the guy jumps up and starts running around praising God. It created a bit of a a scene. Why? Because everybody knew the guy at the gate. And there was this undeniable miracle. Why could Peter and John do those things? I'm about to show you here in the scriptures of why that was possible. Because here's the thing. It's actually possible for you too. It really is. It's available to you to walk in supernatural power. I mean, that's part of our salvation. We, we've, we've watered down and, and really dumbed down our Christian faith to the point that it really has very little power anymore. But yet when I read the Bible, they lived very differently. I mean, they had expectation. And you're like, well, how do I, that sounds great. How do I get there? I won't give you all of the specifics, but basically Peter and John get in trouble for this amazing miracle that happens. They get drugged before the Sanhedrin and they're like questioning them. They basically get put on trial for doing this great thing, this amazing miracle that God works through them. And they're trying to figure out, what are we going to do? Everybody knows about it. And I I love this description in in Acts 14. The members of the council, it says, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. When When you come in contact with Jesus, you will become more bold. You really will. Things, even things that have never bothered you will bother you because it's, it's a righteous thing that happens on the inside of you. And you're like, that's not right. That shouldn't happen. Why? Because there's this connection with the Lord. And it says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They were amazed by it. And it says, and I love this part, just because I think it's kind of humorous in a way. It says, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Because here's the spiritual elite, and they're like, these are just ordinary men, and they have no special training in the Scriptures. That's good news for most of us. These are just ordinary guys. As a matter of fact, these are fishermen. These are just blue-collar guys, and yet God worked a miracle through them. An undeniable, I mean, creative, spontaneous miracle happens. So they're looking at them in the natural realm and they're going, how did these guys do this? How did this happen? These are just ordinary Joe Blow off the street. Like these are just ordinary dudes. They don't understand scripture at all. How did they do this? And it says, but they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Let me say it another way. 
is they recognized him as people who had been in the presence of Jesus. And when we get into the presence of Jesus, it transforms us. And it changes us from just who we were into who God wants us to be. But we have to get into the presence of Jesus. Well, if you're going, you have to desire that. You have to want, and that's where this spiritual hunger, and you're like, I thought we were talking about our country. I am. But I'm talking about how you influence our nation as an individual. Because remember, it's righteousness of the people that exalts a nation. Not the righteousness of our government. We, we affect our nation. And unfortunately, we've abdicated many things to other places and other people so that we don't have to take on the responsibility. It's just like, well, as long as I'm good, I'm good. Well, you're good until you're not. And then what? Because there are people who need the presence of Jesus. There's people at your workplace. There's people in your family. There are people in your neighborhood that need the light of the gospel. And many people don't need to hear the gospel as much as they need to see the gospel. Sometimes we would rather say it with our words than we would actually live it out. The greatest testimony is when our words and our actions actually line up. I mean, I was just talking to a friend of mine. I had a friend come and visit me this weekend and they just happened to move from one state to another state. So he took a new job. And they moved because they felt like the Lord told them to move and actually to be a part of a church in another state. And so as part of his kind of onboarding in this new thing, he's like, so what brings you to Houston? Because they happened to move to Houston. And he said, well, I felt like the Lord told me to come here and be a part of a church. And the guy kind of did a double take and said, you did what? Like you uprooted your life from what you've known to go over here, he's like, I mean, he's like, man, I, you know, I, I, I believe in God. But I don't know if I could do that. That's not normal. But if the Lord's leading you, and it is, an exa- I mean, it's a huge step of faith for them. I mean, I know them well. It's a huge step of faith. But yet there were I mean, in his new job, people are probably going to be like, there's that crazy Christian dude. Did y'all hear the story? This dude moved from another state just to come be a part of a church. It's like, wasn't there a good, I mean, we're talking multiple states away. You're like, there's probably a good church or two between here and there. Surely he could have found one closer. Now, and look, and I've said this many times. I'm not telling you to be weird. If you're weird, don't tell people you go to church here, okay? That's... <laughs> But being weird is not the same as being different. And we are, the Bible calls us a peculiar people. A royal priesthood and a holy nation. We are to be different. Different doesn't mean weird. But we are to be different. Well, how are we different? It's because the life of God is doing something on the inside of us. And it is contagious to those around us. Why aren't you freaking out like everybody else? Because my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches, his resources, his ability, not mine. And so my trust is not in the economy. It's not in the stock market. It's not in the government. My trust is in the Lord. He is the source of everything that I need. And if he needs to have a bird drop me off some groceries, he can do that. You're like, that can't happen. Go read your Bible. Well, what happens when that dries up? He'll send me to a, to a widow. It happened with the prophet in the Old Testament. He goes, hey, I got a brook. 
and a bird that's going to feed you there. And the, the brook dries up and he, oh, Lord, you've abandoned me. No, I got a place for you to go. We get so caught up in these natural things and we neglect to, to realize that God wants to actually move in power and in demonstration in our life. He wants to show up for you. He is not an absentee dad. See, it doesn't matter how much that we read our Bible, how often we show up at a church. What matters is that have we gotten into the presence of Jesus? Because here's the thing. All of us are in this room during this time. And look, it's not reserved to this space at all. That's not what I'm saying. But in this same room, you could be sitting on the same row with other people. And one of you can enter into the presence of God and one of you will sit there and wonder, nothing happened. Well, how is that possible? Because it's not dependent on God's willingness. It's actually dependent on our willingness and our desire. You're like, well, why are they lifting their voices? Why are they jumping around? Why, why are they, you know, raising their hands? It's an outward expression of what's happening on the inside. And let me, on the flip side of that, there shouldn't be anything happening on the outside that isn't happening on the inside of you. Because you can do all this and you can dance your jig and you can shout and all that. But if there isn't something happening on the inside, you're playing a part. We want the real deal connection with God and that connection with Jesus that it actually transforms us. See, Jesus is still the same. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's still the same. Jesus has the power to save, to set free, to restore, to heal, to love, to change, to renew us, to stir up this holy desire on the inside of us to be connected with God. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read two different uh, versions of scriptures, if you will. Of the same scripture, but it says, blessed are those, this Amplified Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be completely satisfied. If you're lacking or you're looking, I'm telling you, Jesus is the place to find satisfaction. There's no human being that can fulfill you. There's no substance that can fulfill you. There's no thing that will fulfill you. Why? Because you'll get all of those things and still be wondering, what am I missing and it's this connection, this, 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 really this, this, it's this desire of God. I want more of you and I'm not satisfied with what I've had. Look, I've had some tremendous experiences with God in my life. I mean, powerful moments, but I don't want to live off of yesterday's bread. I want an experience today in my life and in my heart. And I want God an active part of my today, not just my yesterday. And so I need to, as the scriptures say, if I will hunger and I will thirst for what? For righteousness, God's way of doing and being. If I will thirst after being who God has created for me to be, it says that they or that he will completely fill us so that we're satisfied. The message translation says it this way. It says, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. His food and drink or says his food and drink in the best are the best meal that you'll ever eat. When we work up an appetite, you're like, well, how do I do that? Stop looking at everything else. Stop searching, looking for this longing and these desires. I'm telling you, this and this alone is where it is found. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Not that he has it. He says, I am. Well, what's the bread of life? Fulfillment. Purpose, meaning, I mean, like, 
I don't care what you do in your job. God has a plan for you. And your job may be a part of that. But it's not solely that. It's not by chance where you find yourself. I know you think you bought the home that you bought where it is because you wanted that house. And God's saying, I'm positioning you in places and in arenas for influence so that you can impact the people around you. There's not as much to chance as we might think. Why did you like that house? What drew you to that house? I don't know. I just, I walked in. I was like, oh, this is home. You think that might have been the Holy Spirit? Leading you in a direction? See, I don't want us to stop short of just knowing that God can pour out. See, we, we can have that idea, oh, God's awesome, God's incredible, God can do anything. But we can actually just stop short of saying, well, I know that God can, versus being in a place where, we, where God is pouring out. There's a big difference. Knowing that God can and, uh, and seeing God do it are two different things. I want to be in a place where God is pouring out, and I believe that God is. But I want to see more. I want to see more lives touched. I want to see lives changed and impacted for eternity. I want to see those who are sick healed. I want to see those who are bound delivered. I want to see God move and work in people's lives. I want to see God work and move in your life. Another good place to say amen, by the way. I feel like I need to coach you in these things. Like, why are, you say, why are we saying amen? Because it says, so be it. Let me, let me say it another way. When you say amen, you're saying, I'll take that. I'll line up with that. I agree. Yeah, man, that sounds good. I want some of that. If I told you I had steak dinner like we had some steak bites a few weeks ago, you'd be like, I'll take some of those. My wife's like, hey, go get yours. I'm like, they're mine. I did share. But if it was a buffet up here, you'd be like, hey, how do I get some of this food? What I'm telling you is I'm, I'm giving you something even better than natural food. See, God's not the one. Well, and I'll show you this in the scripture here in just a moment. But is it God is the one who fills us up to overflowing? See, our Father doesn't want to give us just enough to get by. Many times we, we look at God and, and, and even the scriptures and we think, well, God, if you'll just give me enough for today. If you just give me enough for today, enough for today. And there is a principle that, yes, God says his mercies are new every day and we don't want to live on what's old. But at the same time, God is an over the top kind of God. He's an over the top kind of father. He doesn't say, well, how much do you need? You need 10 bucks. Here's, here's seven. You can get by on seven. You can figure it out. That's not, the, that's not his heart. He's generous and gracious and giving and loving. So he's an over the top. He's more than enough. He's abundance in giving. Romans 8.32 says this, For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son, a relationship with him. It says, And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else that he has to give. So what did that verse just say? If Jesus didn't keep, or if God didn't keep Jesus from dying the death on the cross, is there anything he wouldn't do for you? Is there anything that he possesses that he does that he's not saying, here you go, it's yours. He's not withholding anything back, but he's actually holding it for you. 
If you need healing, if you need uh, provision, God has it for you. If, if there's areas of your life that, that you're being controlled with, whether it be in a physical sense, a mental sense, Jesus is there with nail-pierced hands saying, I paid the price for you to be well. I paid the price for you to be whole. You may say, well, you know, there's not anything specifically wrong in my life, but something just feels off. Jesus is there saying, I've got what you need. I am the bread of life. And if you'll just come to me, Matthew chapter 11 says, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you're worn out, if you're burnt out on religion, he says, come to me, come and I will what? Refresh your soul. Sometimes it's not just a big issue. Sometimes it's just like, man, there's just a longing on the inside of me that is not satisfied. And Jesus is saying, I can. I can. But we have to come to him. I mean, that's what the scriptures say. Come to me. He didn't say, I'm going to come chase you down. I'm going to hunt you down. Like a dog. He says, look, come. Go read Isaiah 55. Start at verse 1. He talks about it. He says, look, if you've got no money, come. You've got no ability, come and eat and drink. It's on the house. You ever been to a restaurant and, you know, maybe they comp you something? How many of you know what I'm talking about? They're like, oh, it's on the house. Like, I don't want dessert. No, 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 you really need a dessert. No, I don't don't need dessert. No, you really need a dessert. I'm like, I don't want to pay for it. And they're like, I didn't say anything about you paying for it. Oh, well, bring it on. (laughs) See, that's what this scripture is talking about. Is everything that Jesus has provided, it's already been paid for. You could say it that way. Hey, it's on the house. It didn't cost you anything. Just come. Come and receive what what the Lord has for you. See, I believe that we will experience the grace and the presence and the power of God at the level of our belief. In other words, if I don't believe that God can do more, I won't experience more. It's very rare. I've had that happen, but it's not the norm. It's very rare. Usually, I set my expectation of God. I, I want to encounter you. And I'm going to open up my heart and worship. And I'm going to read the word. I'm going to ask them and invite the Holy Spirit. Even before I read the scriptures. Holy Spirit, I need to hear from you today. I thank you that my, my ears are ready to hear from you. And that my eyes are alert to the words that I'm about to read. And I thank you that you're going to prompt my spirit. Because you're alive on the inside of me. You're my God. You're my teacher. You're my helper. And whatever I need today, you're right here. I don't have to wait for you to come. You're not bringing me an answer from heaven. I have heaven on the inside of me. And you're going to give me understanding to this word. The difference of me before I was saved and the difference of me after. When I read the scripture before, I didn't get it at all. I thought it was complete foolishness. But then I encountered Jesus and all of a sudden the word, it's like it came alive. And it's like, oh, I get it. And that word began to transform me by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. So I believe we have to have our belief. We have to have some expectation. But there's got to be some pursuit. I said this last week. The proof of desire is in pursuit. I told you about pursuing my wife. How did she know that I was interested in her? By my behavior. I didn't run away from her. I was trying to be around her. More accurate, I was trying to get her around me. 
Well, if I, if I really want to experience more of God, put yourself around him. Get into the presence of Jesus. You're like, how do I do that? That sounds awesome, but I have no clue how to do it. There's a few ways. Worship is a great one. Worship is not about the head. It's not about the mouth. It's not about your tongue. It's not about your mind. Worship is about the heart. And it's getting out of here and really tapping into the innermost part of you so that you can actually have that connection with the Lord in a very personal, real way. And as you worship, your spirit begins to open up. You you know, you're like, well, why do we raise our hands in service? Because it's saying, Lord, here I am. I'm like a funnel. Come on. And it's an outward expression. God, I'm opening up my heart to you right now. I've just... I, I, I need that connection with you. The last scripture I'll share is in James chapter 4 verse 8. This is out of the Passion Translation. I like the way it says it though. It says, move your heart closer and closer to God. So you do your part. Move your heart closer to God. And he will. He will. He will come close to you. Move your heart closer and he will respond. In other words, he's not going to hang you out to dry. He's not going to leave you out there like a fool. He's not going to be like, oh, that's cute. Nice try. Try again later. No, he says, if you'll move your heart closer to him, he will come closer to you. See, we can actually experience as much of God and much as, as much as we want in our relationship with him. I mean, Jesus was talking to a woman at the well, and he's like, hey, that well's going to run dry, and that well's going to leave you thirsty, but I'm the well that never runs dry, and I'm the well that will quench your actual real thirst, not the one of your physical body, but of your soul. And Jesus was inviting her, and he says, look, it will be like a fountain bubbling up from the inside of you. This is why it's important to pray in the morning, to connect with God, because you got a day to deal with. And a day with the presence of God is a lot better than a day without it. So we want to take a moment in the morning and you say, well, how do I experience Jesus? Invite him into your day. Jesus, I thank you. I got today to to face. I don't know what's coming, but I thank you that I'm not alone today. That you've put the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. That you've given me the ability and the wisdom and the power to face today. So I thank you. Whatever's coming, I'm ready for it. And then when problems arise in the day, you might be reminded of your prayer. I wasn't ready for this. By the grace of God, I'm ready for this. You on the inside of me is enough. Enough for me to handle and deal with what's right in front of me. Here's my question for you today. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's the Spirit of God? Not not David. What is God's Spirit saying to you as an individual this morning? Because what he says to you is way more important than what I've said to you. It really is. And so, we're going to take a moment here and we're going to worship. So why? I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a moment to be able to connect and to focus on the Lord. Look, you got all week to do the week. But you got right now to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Like, well, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? You'll know. Number one, it brings peace. 
doesn't bring confusion, doesn't bring all these. There's peace. It'll come like a thought. But it won't be your thought. And it won't be the devil's thought. You're like, how do I know the difference? The devil's thought is going to bring fear and anxiety and worry. When it's the Holy Spirit, there's wisdom and there's understanding. There's answers to your problems. There's answers to your struggles. There's that peace that comes. And the Lord will speak to you. So my encouragement to you is to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit and then respond. The Holy Spirit may tell you something like, hey, you just need to worship right now. Like just forget about your what's going on in your life. It'll still be there in 10 minutes, trust me. And the problem may not change, but you will. And that'll be what needs to change. That's what needs to shift. Sometimes we need to shift, not the issues. Hey, we need to shift. Maybe you need to come down and get prayer for something. You're, just, you're trying to figure it out and trying to battle it out on your own. You're like, man, I'm just working and working and working, trying to figure this thing out. And maybe you just need to come and get prayer. Why? Because there's power in agreement. The Bible says where two or three agree upon anything in accordance to God's word and his will, he will do. That's why we have prayer partners. Why? Because there's something about connection. We're created to connect. Well, that's a spiritual thing. And so that may be something. It may be time for you to make just a firm, solid decision that I'm going to follow Jesus. I was 16 years old when I made that decision. Where I was just like, this is my decision for life. I'm not saying I've never questioned. I'm not saying I've never struggled with it. I'm not saying any of those things. But I made a decision. I committed my life to the Lord. That, hey, I'm, I surrender. It's not my life anymore. Jesus, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will go wherever you tell me to go. And I will do anything that you tell me to do. Why? Because I'm a servant. And I serve you. It's not my life anymore. And I want to bring glory to the Father. So in this few moments here that we've got, we're going to worship together. We're going to sing a song. I happen to know what it is. I didn't ask for it, but I do know what the song is. It's called Refiner. It's one of my favorite songs right now. I didn't pick it, but I do love it. And, uh, you know, but but I would encourage you. You may be here today and you say, man, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I need to start that relationship. Or maybe you're like, man, I just need to recommit. I need to restart. We're going to have prayer partners. Like prayer team, go ahead and come up and, and be available. And as we worship, if you need prayer for anything, big, small, it doesn't matter. If it matters to you, I want you to know it matters to God. If you need to get back in relationship with the Lord, come down here. They'll lead you in a prayer of salvation. There's a card, that little welcome card. It says welcome home right there in the seat in front of you. If you'll just fill out what your prayer request is, that way if it's kind of loud, they know what they're praying for up here. I know y'all don't maybe think of that, but sometimes trying to hear people can be challenging. But this way, they can know what what you're really believing for. And it's not like, hey, say that again. What'd you say? Just helps them. Feel that out. So would you stand up with me this morning? I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to hand this off to the worship team.